Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. And this is our number two of Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish back with you here on the show. Good to be with you here on this Friday as we head toward the football weekend. We got college football. Fantasy Sports Today starts now. Fantasy Sports Today. Underway right now, a lot of bowl games going on uh, later today. Tomorrow, of course, we have the college football semifinal, and John Lobb will be on with us this hour to break that all down. Of course, we did a little as the wrong team favorite. If you want to go back and listen, you can hear that on demand as we continue on. And uh, yeah, I mean, next week we got the NFL playoffs. Crazy to think that we are uh, here at this point. But uh, didn't touch on any baseball in the first hour uh, of the show. And I know that a lot of you are listening to me for that. And I've been doing this for quite some time talking baseball, but uh, it is still in the midst of the football season as we push forward toward baseball. So let's kind of dive in a little and give you my opinion on some of the things that are or are not happening. Uh, obviously, some of the bigger stories are out there. The Chicago White Sox continue to uh, push toward relevancy. It's a really, uh, it, it could be the interesting story of the offseason at this point. They've added Yasmani Grandal. They've added Nomar Mazzara. They've added Edwin Encarnacion. They've added Dallas Keuchel, and they appear to be a team that's uh, that's, that's trying to be a player this year. And, uh, you know, seven years of no playoffs will do that to you. So I, I think it's good for the game when teams are competing. The latest is, is that they could potentially not have that Mazzara signing affect them or that Mazzara trade that they did during the winter meetings affect them and still potentially chase... Uh, you know, maybe Yasiel Puig or maybe uh, Marcel Ozuna. There was a report about a month ago that Ozuna had already signed with the White Sox. Of course, that wasn't true. But uh, regardless of that, that's that's really the team to watch going into the season when their season win total comes out. It'll probably be a little bit inflated. You have to be careful of that in terms of the Vegas number. The Vegas number probably going to be... Uh, I would guess uh, 80, 81, something like that. A lot of people will pick the over because they've added so much. That's not always the wise thing to do. Just look at Philadelphia last year. That's uh, a good example of a team that added a lot of players 
and it didn't exactly work out, but they do have a lot of young players on uh, on the return as well. Uh, Josh Donaldson still a free agent. I think that comes as a surprise um, to most people. And uh, Donaldson for me is probably the top hitting free agent left for in a one year situation. Now look, Castellanos and Ozuna could be better in the longer term, but for one year, you want one guy at third base based on the year that Donaldson had last year. I think it'd be a phenomenal signing. The question is, what is he waiting for at this point? At least a lot of the national guys thought that it would get done in a couple of days and that you know Washington was fully engaged and maybe Philadelphia and Atlanta, of course, is where he played last year and redeveloped his his swing and got back into the position healthy that he was in the past. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, one of those three teams seems to be the landing spot for him. It would shock me that that, uh, that Donaldson wouldn't go at least to Atlanta after any offer that he would get and say, hey, look, this is where I want to be because he had so much success last year. But money, of course, talks. And the Nationals, after losing Anthony Rendon, have that big hole to fill at third base. So they can do some things internally. They can put Carter Keboom at third if they need to. I don't, I don't think that that's what they want to do. They have Howie Kendrick there as well. But Donaldson would certainly fit the bill um, no doubt about that. He becomes uh, one of the more interesting targets there. Uh, we mentioned Castellanos. Castellanos could end up with the White Sox. It, it would shock me if the Cubs uh, didn't at least kick the tires on this. The Cubs are kind of crying poor at this point, saying they don't have any money to spend. They got to move guys around. And have a look, that report came out where these teams are making so much money. It seems a little ridiculous, but that's kind of where they stand. So. Uh, I, I, I still think it's somewhere in Chicago, and I think the Cubs end up pulling the trigger here. They really need him after the season. He had kind of like a J.D. Martinez season two years ago with Arizona. He did that with the Cubs and got them to relevancy at the end of the season. I, I would uh, I would imagine that would be uh, that would be his landing spot for Marcelo Zuna. As I've said many times, it'll be the most money. So I would not rule out the Texas Rangers. Uh, they they seem to be a team that still wants to add, make some moves. They have the money to do it. New ballpark uh, could go back to the Cardinals, although I would say it is unlikely the Cincinnati Reds have to be a factor for him. Also, the Reds have to be a factor for Yasiel Puig, who uh, I, I think that for me, it was kind of a foregone conclusion that Puig and the Marlins would have some sort of, uh, you know, close to an agreement at this point. But Puig apparently wants more than a year. He wants two years. Miami doesn't want to do two years. So Puig, maybe Cleveland, maybe Cincinnati, maybe Miami. He's got uh, very few options because teams don't want to invest years in this guy. And for good reason. Wherever he's gone, there's... You know, been some at least stories of different things happening. So I could see uh, Puig getting two years from someone. Three, I think, is a long shot. I don't even know if he'll get that uh, option for the third year as well. And then finally, the guy that uh, I'll be looking forward to over the weekend, I think that Corey Dickerson's got to be closing in on something here. He is, to me, the best outfielder in the short-term deal that, that shouldn't be waiting much longer to sign. And whether it is Miami or St. Louis or the Reds or some of I mean, this is a guy that, you know, 
is going to give you quality outfield and left field. He's going to give you 120 games played, and I'll leave out 40 for injury or platoon. But that is the guy to me that I think uh, is probably the next one to drop here, is Corey Dickerson, who uh, wherever he's gone, he's hit. I mean, Colorado, Tampa, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia at the end of last year. Phillies would be silly not to at least kick the tires on bringing him back, too. So uh, that would be the player that I would look for this weekend. And that's kind of where we stand with the free agent landscape at this point. We'll take a short time out here on Fantasy Sports today. Plenty more to come, including a conversation with John Lobb about the college football bowl games. Games going on today, tomorrow, and then, of course, all next week as well. You're listening to FST here on this Friday, December 27th. Don't go away. for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish back with you. Before there was Calvin Johnson, before there was Kenny Galladay, before there were a lot of receivers in Detroit, there was really, and Marvin Jones, there was a great receiver. And, of course, Herman Moore, one of the few guys uh, back in his day to catch 100 passes in an NFL season. He was on the network earlier this week at a great conversation. Figured we'd play it back for you now. The betting markets are telling us that Eastern Michigan doesn't have a chance in this game. Pat Narduzzi in Pittsburgh. I mean, they're no stranger to this spot. Uh, great defense, great offense. I mean, which one, in your opinion, wins out here? What kind of game do you see? Defense is always tough. I mean, I'm an offensive player, but anytime I'm looking to build championships and I'm looking to, to have teams that uh, are going to give me an opportunity, they got to be able to stop people and give make the games always close. Uh, you get that in Pittsburgh, but Eastern Mission is not going to sit back and care what people think. I mean, I think they're underdogs by like 20 points or something like that, But uh, or 11. Uh, I think it was 11 points last I saw. Yeah, but can you give me 20, are, Herman? Yeah, they're tough. <laughs> I'll yeah. take the 20 yeah. if you can get no, it for no, me. No, no. <laughs> Damn, I'm laying my action with you, Eastern Herman. Eastern Mission is going to be a scrap man. <laughs> <laughs> If they would kill me if if that was actually true. But uh, <laughs> scrappy offense, uh, a defense that doesn't want to give up much. So uh, uh, Pittsburgh, yeah, I mean, I think that's an easy one for people. But Eastern Michigan is going to bring a big fan base. Uh, Herman, yeah, Herman Moore uh, with a side, Herman. That's delicate, man. I got to bring up the Detroit Lions. I got like, I'm like, all right, how do I approach this in the best way uh, with with the Lions? Hey, you got to hey, bring it. Yeah, yeah bring, I, it, bring it. Come on. Please. All right. So a lot of talk about uh, about Matt Patricia getting the extension. And I don't say this would do any disrespect uh, towards Coach Patricia, but 
I thought it was a horrible. I don't know why Jim Caldwell got fired. I don't know why Jim, like to this day, I don't like he was eleven and five, seven and nine, nine and seven, nine and seven. The players loved him. Matt Stafford was happy. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter, everything was going in the right direction. Oh, they want to take the next step, and they didn't take a step. They fell off a cliff here. The team has regressed, and you know I don't have any confidence that Matt Patricia is going to turn this thing around. And I think they, the only reason they didn't let him go is because they just looked bad that they just hired him and fired him a good coach. And like I said, I don't mean to disrespect against Patricia, but hey, yeah, it's a grown man's league, uh, Herman. Man, you know, results are results, and the Lions are worse now than they were before. What's your take on the Lions, and how can they turn this thing around? Well, I, I always like to keep it very honest. If I if I were playing on this team, and I played on some teams that were really bad Lions teams, and you know what, we were a bad team. And you, you have to acknowledge that uh, when you don't have the record that meets you, that matches up with what the expectations are, then you got to say something's gone wrong. Do you blame it on players? Do you blame it on injuries? Do you blame it on coaches? Uh, I think it's a combination of all those things. But what team in the NFL doesn't have those issues? Uh, it comes down to how are you taking advantage of opportunities? Are you, you drafting right? Are you developing players right? Uh, this is an alliance organization that, a lot of people felt Coach Caldwell was a good fit for this organization. The players really bought into him. I think talent wanted to come here. With Coach Patricia, you bring experience. You bring someone who's understood the ability to, to build championship-quality teams. But at the end of the day, what are the criteria for the Detroit Lions? Who are they? What, what are the standards? Is it to be subpar or is it to be uh, at the top? And anything less than not just going to the playoffs, but being competitive and winning championships, that's got to become the bar. If that's not the bar, anything, I don't care who is not, you take out the emotions. You don't, you don't care who the coach is. I don't care if it's coach Caldwell. I don't care if it's, if it's, if it's coach Patricia, you say, if the bar needs to be here, either they met it or they didn't. Is that, is that simple? Um, uh, so right now I, I personally like coach Patricia as a person, uh, but, do you as an organization or as a fan base like the results? You can't. I mean, if you do, then you've lowered the bar. Herman Moore uh, with us. Herman, a topic conversation as well as Calvin. And, you know, you, your career flew under the radar. You put up some massive numbers. And I know you've talked about it. You know, people really saw you guys on Thanksgiving uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And people sort of saw Calvin a bit as well. And, you know, there doesn't seem to be a rush. I don't know if there's a push maybe down the road uh, for the Hall of Fame. Is it a Detroit thing, or is it that it's held against you guys that you didn't sort of hang around longer? That, hey, listen, I got myself killed for 17 years, and I resent Calvin for not doing it. Because, you know, I've even spoken to Hall of Famers. They're like, well, it didn't play long enough. Think well, it was a decade, and you know, if you're dominant, right? Isn't that what it's about? If you're a dominant player, what's your take on on the voter stance and sort of their their coolness towards Calvin Johnson? Well, first and foremost, I think the voting for all these all time teams and the voting for the Pro Football Hall of Fame it's broken. It, it's no way. When you look at, I listen to players today, which is a little bit of a, a disrespect, that say, hey, you know, when they talk about players who played in the 50s, they're nowhere near as good athletes as they are today. Well, no. I mean, you, you didn't have the same technology, the tra- same training, the same dollars that were put into yeah. bettering the sport, the technology of the game. I mean, so, so 
with Calvin, he played and he dominated during his time. Should he be a Hall of Famer? Absolutely. The question sometimes becomes, should he be a first uh, a first ballot Hall of Famer? Well, that's debatable, but at the same time, that should never negate that this is a Hall of Fame player. When he got left off of the top 100, well, there's a lot of people that got left off, but mm-hmm. should he have been part of that conversation? Absolutely. Uh, and I do think because as when you play for a team like the Lions or you play for a team that doesn't get that national exposure in New York or California or Texas, no, you don't. You, you don't. People don't know who you are. And uh, I look at my seven years as a starter, and I always tell people, I can only start at seven years, but I'll match those up against you. You go pick the guys yeah. in my era. Mm-hmm. Pick your, your best two or three, and you're not going to put me lower than three. I don't care how you, how you want to shape it. Uh, but that's just the way it is. The system needs to be changed, and we need to acknowledge players for when they played and what they did during that tenure. So you're taking you're taking it better than To being left off the uh, mm. the, the hundred team. <laughs> he didn't take. He didn't well, take. I mean, it. I probably get left off of the thousand team. Oh man, that's brutal. So are you yeah, taking all, uh, are you taking is, Detroit you know, this weekend against the Packers? Uh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Come on. Up and it. Come yeah, on. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, hopefully the people who know me, they know they know I'm an honest guy and they don't kick me out of Lions Kingdom. But no, I, I'm not <laughs> my Lions for a win against the Packers. Not with what's on the line. It is what it is, man. It's uh, yep. I love these guys, but it just if it didn't if it wasn't enough to win when it mattered, I don't know why it would matter now. But <laughs> Let me ask you, Herman. We only got about a minute, minute, about two minutes, maybe a minute and a half here. Uh, we're down to the final four. Some really, really good football teams. Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, LSU, obviously. Who do you think is the last team standing? Uh, wow. I think LSU. Uh, Clemson, I would say people are underestimating. But uh, I think LSU ultimately is the one that's shown that no matter – what caliber of team they're playing when they play more of the top 10 teams than, than these others. Uh, they, they don't, they don't flinch. If anything, they step up to the challenge and they play consistent football. And that's why they're the number one team in the country. So I, I say LSU is the one you hang your hat on. Uh, and Clemson, I think meets them in that dance for the, for the championship game. Now I know you were a great baller, man, in high school as well. A lot of guys, in the NFL, you look at the contracts, guaranteed contracts. Did you want to be in the NBA? Or did you prefer you know, I want to be a football player, <laughs> and I got to ask you, uh, MJ or LeBron? Because you know, we got to send a message to the millennials that winning and you know, that LeBron's great. He's great, but he's not Michael Jordan. So, did you want to play in the NBA? It, 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 would, would, would Michael Jordan make the would Michael Jordan make the top one hundred? <laughs> <laughs> listen, man. Listen, I, I get it, man. LeBron is a is a good player, and I don't think I've seen a guy that goes to the to the hole stronger than him. I mean, this is a forward that goes in there reckless, abandoned, and finish. But Michael, there's, there will only ever be another. That's one Michael Jordan. Unless Michael Jordan's going to come back and be Michael Jordan number two, uh, MJ. All right, there he is, Herman Moore, the great wide receiver, former great wide receiver of the Detroit Lions. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back next, we'll dive into the bowl games with the gridiron scholar, John Love. Don't go away.
Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. And welcome back. This is Fantasy Sports Today, and it is time to dive deeper into the college football bowl season. We are almost about halfway done in the college football bowls, but that means that there are plenty more good games to come. Of course, we have a game going on right now with North Carolina and Temple, but let's preview the rest of the games today as well as tomorrow and beyond with our friend, the Gridiron Scholar, John Love. John joins us now here on the show. John, happy holidays to you. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Happy holidays to all our listeners. And I love, this is the best week of the entire year, in my opinion. Wall-to-wall football action. I love it. Yeah, last week was great. We had all those bowl games on Saturday, football, uh, NFL on Saturday, NFL on Sunday, and of course, a lot more to come, including the semifinal, which will come up tomorrow. Uh, before we go forward, let's go back real quick. Um, look, not a lot of marquee games played, John, in these bowl games early. That's for sure. Uh, any any takeaways at all from anything that you've seen in the first 40% of the bowl games thus far? Um, the first one, I do like UCF. I mean, they were 10-3. and three. They obviously didn't perform as well as they did the past two seasons. But I like this freshman quarterback, Dylan Gabriel. He came out and threw for 260 yards and two touchdowns. They smacked down Marshall. I, I, I really think the Knights are going to come back next year and have another good season. Hawaii, you know, there was some challenges lately with who was going to play their quarterback. In this game, they have a rising star freshman, but they gave it to Cole McDonald. He was incredible with 493 yards. And four touchdowns. And yesterday, how embarrassing was Miami, Craig, to be shut out by Ellis, um, Louisiana Tech. And I took Tech, but I did not expect them to shut out the Hurricanes. It looked like Miami just was not interested in that game whatsoever. Yeah, that was that was arguably the worst offensive performance, John, of any bowl game that I've ever seen. And I put that out yesterday. I, I just had and Louisiana Tech, by the way, looked awful as well. That that, <laughs> that poor quarterback. My gosh, I know they were down to their their uh, their backup quarterback, but if if that kid doesn't throw an interception, why they even had him throw it at the end of the game? I don't even know. He threw that interception. Miami got the ball, took it all the way down to the 50, and then did nothing with it. But um, certainly, let's let's kind of go through it here a little bit with the remaining bowl games left. So, uh, John, one of you know when I when I did my uh, my bowl uh, live stream with Howard Bender, um, this is actually one of the bigger ones for me today. Um, I, I mean, I don't get this one. I'm not really sure why. Maybe you you have the answer to this, but coming up at 320 Eastern today, Michigan State will take on Wake Forest. I, I thought Michigan State was awful, John. I, I saw them play a bunch this year. Their quarterback was awful. 
Their offense was awful, and, and I know that defensively they can still get the job done. And I know Wake Forest, you know, struggled down the stretch too. Make no mistake about that. Uh, but they can score a little bit. I am very surprised that Michigan State is a four, three and a half point favorite. Um, th- this is really one of my stronger ones. Actually, taking Wake Forest in this game, I think they're going to win the game today. How, what do you? How do you see it? You know, Craig, great minds think alike. I'm actually looking at this, and I am shocked that the Spartans are four-point favorites. The Demon Deacons had a very good year. Now, they get their wide receiver, Scotty Washington, back today, and it looks like, you know, their starting quarterback is also going to play. Um, Oh, why can't I remember his name for two seconds? I'm so sorry about that. But he's coming back also so I'm shocked because I thought the Demon Deacons had played very good on offense. Historically, the Spartans have been good on defense, but they have not been playing well this season, in my opinion. Now, granted, Wake Forest doesn't play great defense either, but one of the great disappointments has been senior quarter Brian Lewerke of the Spartans. He's been very underwhelming in his career. I like the Demon Deacons. I agree with you, Craig. Yeah, um, yeah, and again, they, they, uh, Demon Deacons did not play well at the end of the season. They lost to Virginia Tech, uh, Clemson, and Syracuse, but they can score a little bit, and uh, and I think that they have a chance to win today. That's one of the ones that I actually like more than some of the others. Okay, uh, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, they'll play in the Texas Bowl tonight. USC goes up against Iowa. Uh, USC had some late incoming suspensions, John. They'll play that game in the Holiday Bowl tonight. And then uh, Washington State, who uh, who has very good regular seasons, but always falls apart in the bowl games, it seems, in the Cheez-It Bowl tonight. Any opinion on any of these three games tonight? Well, I am looking forward to Oklahoma State and Texas A&M. You know, I was looking at the bowl records, and both coaches are pretty good. Mike Gundy, I believe, is 8-4, and four, and we um, – you have the Texas A&M coaches six and two. So we have two good coaches here who can come into this bowl season and they should put on a good performance. Now, I like both running games. Tuba Hubbard of Oklahoma State, he is a stud with over 1,900 yards and 21 touchdowns. You have freshman Isaiah Spiller of the Aggies. He's been very good since he got into the starting lineup. Kellen Mund is an underrated quarterback. So I like the over in this game a lot, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I think uh, this will be a good game tonight for sure. Uh, John Lobb joins us, and uh, I'll have my eye on this one. Um, I think I like Air Force tonight also. Maybe uh, you know one of my picks tonight against Washington State, given the fact that Leach has struggled so much. All right, so then things get real hot tomorrow. We have the two appetizers and then the main course. Memphis takes on Penn State in the Cotton Bowl. Iowa State and Notre Dame in the Camping World Bowl. And then the two semifinal games tomorrow, Oklahoma, LSU, Clemson, and Ohio State. Um, my only my only real opinions on this one, John, going in are uh, I, think, I think Memphis will cover. I, I think that this is too many points. I'm not sure what, what Penn State's motivation is in this game. And I do think that Memphis at least, uh, you know, gives Penn state a game. That's kind of the way that I see it. And I like Clemson a lot. That may be my only real pick for tomorrow. I really do think that Clemson's going to beat Ohio state. They'll just have to beware of Ohio state getting off to that fast start. They always do, you know, against Michigan, against some other teams, they get off to these really fast starts and then they just, you know, sort of slog their way through the end of the game and end up winning. Um, let, let's dive into these four games tomorrow. Anything that you see on the board? 
You know, it's interesting because I kind of like the Nittany Lions tomorrow, and I know I tend to be in this in to be a, a minority faction in this, but man, the Memphis Tigers, and I love the American Athletic Conference, and they had a great season. But Penn State is battle tested, and their front seven is nasty. I do believe that the Nittany Lions can slow down the running game with Kenneth Gainwell and Patrick Taylor of the Tigers. If they can keep those two running backs under 125 yards rushing, I think they will then force Brady White to in long, third and long situations, and I think Penn State wins in that. I also like the Nittany Lions. They've really had it. People have not been paying attention to their running back situation. Jordan Brown has really risen. He's a sophomore running back, and I think he might be a stud next year. But in his last couple games down the stretch here, he has 300-yard games rushing in the last four, and I do not believe that Memphis can stop this running game of Penn State. So I like Penn State here a lot. I think they're going to be able to run on Memphis. Hey, Notre Dame-Iowa State is fascinating to me, Craig, because I think the way you want to slow down Notre Dame is you've got to control the clock. Ian Book has been so hot, and Chase Claypool down the stretch had been dominating opponents. However, Iowa State plays good defense, and they can run the ball with freshman Brees Hall. If the Cyclones can control the clock for 35 minutes, in which they have the game script plan, I think they can take down the fighting Irish here. I like the Cyclones to run the ball and keep the, ha- the ball out of Ian Book's hands. Now, I've been all in on LSU. I still like them. I'm very happy. I, I have them still as only 13.5-point favorites. I don't want to give up that extra point, right? We don't want to go to 14 or above. And I know Clyde Edwards-Alier is not – it looks like he's not going to play. He hasn't practiced, I believe, in like 11 days. So that's going to be very interesting, who runs the football. Now, historically, the Tigers are loading the backfield. Chris Curley, Curry, a redshirt freshman, and then you have John Emery, a true freshman. Who's going to get the ball? Are they going to be able to get a running game? And to me, are they going to catch the ball out of the backfield? But Oklahoma is so bad in the secondary. Joe Burrow is loaded here. His wide receivers are off the charts. I think they throw the ball all over Oklahoma. I'm worried about a backdoor cover with Jalen Hurts here. Oklahoma has a lot of weapons on offense. They do, yeah. They do. You know, C.D. Lamb, Charles Rambo, Trey Sermon is running the football well, and Hurts can convert those third downs. I am a little bit worried about the backdoor cover. Now, if Clyde Edwards-Alaire was healthy, I wouldn't be worried at all because the Tigers could just take that offensive line and pound Oklahoma in the second half. So that is a little bit of a concern, but I'm still taking the Tigers here. And I completely agree with you with Clemson. I, look, at Ohio State's been great. There's nothing I can say. We got two undefeated teams here. But I don't think Ohio State has played an offense that is so diverse and so exceptional in both the running and the passing game. I cannot believe how few people are talking about Trevor Lawrence 
a sophomore quarterback with over 3,100 yards passing and 34 touchdowns. And you have Travis Etienne. Man, Craig, did you see this stat? He has only carried the ball seven times in the fourth quarter. I believe he leads the nation in most missed tackles, according to Pro Football Focus. He is a spectacular player. And when you have T. Higgins and and you have Justin Ross on the outside, hey, the Buckeyes are going to score. J.K. Dobbins, this offense is good. But I don't think the defense has seen someone as good as Clemson all season. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and uh, I don't think this game's going to be close. I think that Clemson is going to win, and uh, then that game against LSU, that's that's a conversation for <laughs> another show. I mean, look, Clemson, uh, without a doubt, LSU, I think, is the best of these four teams, but uh, I am not ruling out Clemson winning the national title for sure. All right, let's take a quick timeout. We'll be back with more bowl game previews with John Lobb, the Gridiron Scholar. You're listening to Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. It is Craig Mish. We have John Lobb, the Gridiron Scholar, with us talking college football once again. And unfortunately, with us talking college football maybe for the last time, with the exception of the national championship game coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, if you missed any of the discussion that we've had, just go back, hit rewind. If you're listening on demand, reviewing all of the bowl games, and we will continue to do that as we move past the 28th and move on to the 30th of December we have the First Responder Bowl, the Red Box Bowl, the Music City Bowl, and then, of course, the Orange Bowl, where the Gators are 14-point favorites against Virginia. Uh, John, my early look on this one, and I'm not really sure why the line keeps going up, but um, I kind of like Illinois against Cal in the Red Box Bowl. I know Cal has now suspended a few of their players. In general, for some reason with the bowl games, the higher the lines go, those teams usually don't cover in the bowls. It's like some strange trend where the favorite becomes a higher favorite, but the dogs cover in those. Um, also, we know Mississippi State's one of their quarterbacks was suspended for a fight <laughs> with their player yeah. in, that, in the Music City Bowl. Louis, yeah. I, would, I would have been all over Louisville for sure, except for I don't know what happened to them against Kentucky in the last game of the season. Louisville was playing better than any team in that conference. Uh, so between these four bowls, Western Michigan and Western Kentucky, first responder bowl, Illinois, Cal, Mississippi State, Louisville, and Virginia, Florida. 
my my I think my lone pick of these is taking Illinois in the points. I gotta believe, John, that that Lovey Smith and Illinois really want to be there, you know, and really want that win. This is their first bowl game since like I was 16 years old or something like that for them. Uh, how do you see any of these? You know, I agree with you on Illinois. I think California has been really disappointing all season. Now, they do have a, uh, an above-average defense, actually a very good defense for the Pac-12. But Illinois can put points on the board. And you're getting almost a touchdown. And you say the line is moving up. When we have an over-under of 43, and if I can get a seven spot for the fighting Illini, I like that very much. I agree with you there, Craig. Now, Louisville, Mississippi State, I am really into this game because you were absolutely right. Until the Cardinals got beat down by Kentucky, which it really did shock me. I did not expect that. You have Mikhail Cunningham, the quarterback of the Cardinals. You have a great freshman runner in J.V. and Hawkins. Believe it or not, he had 1,420 yards rushing, eight touchdowns as a freshman, and the Cardinals have a great receiver in 2-2 Atwell with 1,129 yards and 12 touchdowns. I'm a little bit shocked that Mississippi State is a four-point favorite, but it's because I think you have the SEC. Obviously, everyone's going to believe that the Bulldogs are battle-tested, ready for this game. But you're right, they had some problems losing their quarterback. I like the Cardinals here. And I know, look it, I know you love Florida. I love Florida in this beatdown Virginia just absolutely stunk against Clemson in the ACC championship game. They were not ready to take on the Tigers. Now, granted, Florida isn't the Tigers, but Florida plays defense, and there's one way you stop Virginia. You shut down Bryce Perkins. If you shut him down, the Cavaliers cannot move the football. I like the Gators a lot. I know it's given a lot with 14.5, but I do like the Gators here. Yeah, and, and I would love to just roll these points out there and lay them with the Gators. Um, you know, the only thing that scares me a little bit is I just don't know which Perkins is going to show up for any game. You know, I have no idea for Virginia. I, I mean, I don't think he's a good college quarterback at all, but, uh, you know, he's always he's running around the field. He's running backwards, throwing the ball up. What happens if Virginia gets like some sort of backdoor cover would be my concern. But I do like Florida as well. OK, so we move on to uh, New Year's Eve where we have the Belk Bowl, the Sun Bowl, the Liberty Bowl, the Arizona Bowl, and the uh, Alamo Bowl. Uh, Kentucky takes on Virginia Tech in the Belk Bowl. That's the first game where Virginia Tech's two-and-a-half-point favorites. Florida State and Arizona State in the Sun Bowl. Navy and Kansas State in the Liberty Bowl. Georgia State and Wyoming. Maybe we should just skip this one because I have no clue in the Arizona Bowl. (laughs) And then uh, Texas-Utah. In the Alamo Bowl, two teams that do not want to be there, I would lean on the under in that one for sure. Boy, what a disappointing season for both those teams. They don't, I don't think they have any. This, is, this reminds me of yesterday's game. Like, what, what's the point, honestly, of Texas? <laughs> how, how is this line? 55 and a half, by the way, is total. Okay. Um, so I like Arizona State, John. This is the lone Pac-12 team I probably will side with. I think it means a lot to Herman Edwards. It means nothing to Florida State. And and I don't and how can Florida, how can Miami be a seven point favorite over Louisiana Tech and Arizona State be only a four and a half point favorite over FSU? I don't know. And another lone, a very rare favorite I would take is I don't know. I like Kansas State a lot. They had a really good year. I think they're going to have a really hard time uh, keeping up with Navy in this one. How do you see these games on the thirty first? So first, I completely agree with you with the Sun Devils. Um, Herman Edwards, I do believe he will fire these young men up. I don't see the Seminoles having any interest in this football game. 
Um, I do not believe Cam Akers, their running back, I don't think he's playing in this game, right? He's going pro. Um, you have freshman quarterback Jaden Daniels, who I've just loved watching this year, 2,748 yards, 17 touchdowns. Now, the problem is why the line is this minus four. They're, they're, not, they're without Eno Benjamin, who's going pro, and their um, wide receiver Brandon Ayuk is not going to play. But I like Frank Darby. He's been really hot, the wide receiver down the stretch here. And I do believe that the Sun Devils will win because I just don't see how – what does Florida State care going to the Tony the Tiger, Sun Bowl, Herm Edwards <laughs> yeah. and the freshman – Yeah, I mean, it's just – this is a, a proud school, right? They, I just don't see any interest. I just don't think the Seminoles are very good either, right? So I love the Sun Devils here despite missing their players. And, hey – I always watch the Army-Navy game at the end of the year. If you didn't see it, how good was Malcolm Perry, the Navy he quarterback? Was yeah. Over 300 yards rushing, man. He had 1,800 yards rushing this year, 21 touchdowns. I don't think Kansas State has seen a dynamic running quarterback like this. Now, Kansas State does. They're going to run the football with Skylar Thompson, their quarterback. But I like Navy. They're only giving up two and a half points. I, I love their offense. It's dynamic. When they have the right quarterback, the midshipmen are nasty with that triple option. So I like them a lot in this game. I agree with you, Wyoming, Georgia State, only if you're hard, hardcore. Do you, you know, are you really interested in that? But Utah, Texas, doesn't it have to be about the ratings? They just, Texas is a big fan base. It's prime time ESPN. I kind of like Utah here. Because Zach Moss is playing, their senior quarterback or their senior running back is very good, and Texas does not tackle very well. I like the youth. Yeah, I, I just I, I I think a lot of running in that game. Utah plays good defense. The total seems too high. I think for me, uh, but anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So the first, let, let's close it out with the games on the first. Because honestly, the games after that aren't aren't really that good. Uh, we got the Citrus Bowl, Michigan and Alabama, uh, Outback Bowl, Minnesota, Auburn. Auburn's a big favorite in that one, like Alabama is in the Citrus Bowl. Wisconsin, Oregon, and the Rose Bowl, uh, very short spread there. Wisconsin minus two and a half, and then in the Sugar Bowl, you got Georgia and Baylor. So, John, the way that I see this thing, this is is again teams that don't care. Uh, I'm going to take Michigan, shockingly, plus the points here. I wouldn't be surprised to hear about more of Alabama's players not playing by the time this game kicks off at 1 o'clock uh, next week. And uh, I think Baylor's got to be really fired up uh, to take on Georgia. And by the way, Georgia was in the same exact spot last year. They got knocked out. They didn't win the, S- they didn't win the SEC. They played against Texas, and they got mauled. So it's, it's SEC versus Big 12 again. I'm going to take Baylor plus the points. I'm going to take Michigan plus the points. You know, I agree with you on Baylor. You're getting six points. And Matt Rule, I believe he's going to get job interviews for the NFL. And this would be a great resume, the final, you know, kind of thought in NFL general manager's mind. Matt Rule put together a 12-2 and season. They beat Georgia on prime time. They also have the defense to slow down the Bulldogs. To me, that is the key. Baylor, if this was seven years ago, I don't think Baylor would have the defense. But Matt Rule has these, you know, these guys are playing very good defense. I agree with you on that one. Now, I'm very interested in this Michigan-Alabama game. I've been going back and forth. I'm having a very challenging time because 
every time Jim Harbaugh is in a big spot, mm-hmm. Greg, he blows it. <laughs> so, like, I agree. I think Michigan should win, and I like the seven. But, man, every time I put money down the last three years on Harbaugh on a big spot, he just takes it from my wallet. So, if I'm going to go on coaching, I've got to think Nick Saban's a better coach in the big spot. So this is a very challenging game. I'm probably not going to lay anything on that game just because Harbaugh Saban is such a monkey wrench. And you said maybe some of these Crimson Tide players, maybe too many of them don't play. Yeah, that that's uh, that, that could be the thing for me. And I know that Jerry Judy and a couple of the others have said that they're going to play but I think that that could change pretty quickly. By the way, uh, John, before we go, I know that you've already started kind of looking into your NFL draft. I, I know that you like Jalen Hurts a lot. Uh, this will be a showcase game for him for sure for the draft coming up tomorrow night. Anything that you've seen so far in the bowl season or something else that we should be looking for over the next week that could rise or uh, or lower a player's stock in terms of the draft coming up? You know, I, I think this Ian Book is going to be an interest, and I think people are going to like him a little bit when they watch the film and you look at the numbers. Plus, I aren't Notre Dame quarterbacks always overrated? So I'm kind of interested to see where he's going to go in this draft. Look, it, to me, I am a dead heat at the running back. If you ask me right now to choose between Travis Etienne, J.K. Tobbins, Jonathan Taylor, I cannot clearly give you one of those three who I like. They are in a dead heat for the top running back. I like all of them. I'm still going to be looking at them very closely in the next couple of days. Now, I do believe you mentioned Joe Burrow. To me, I think he's the easy number one pick in the NFL draft. And then I'm also going to be watching, we mentioned it, Eno Ben. well, actually, the two running backs, Eno Benjamin, I wish he was playing, but he's not going to play. But I'm going to watch Zach Moss again. I think he's a fascinating running back to watch coming out into the draft. Yeah, no doubt. I'll be looking forward to all of it. Well, John, listen, uh, enjoy all the bowl games. Happy holidays to you. And we look forward to catching up with you again before that national championship game coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. Thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks, my friend. Have a happy new year, everyone. All right, there he is, John Lobb, the Gridiron Scholar, with the preview of all the games coming up over the next week. And, of course, uh, on Monday, Joe Pizapia and I will recap all of the NFL games and all the bowl games as well. You're listening to Fantasy Sports Today. And before we go, coming up next, we've got one final segment. It's time for a little two-minute drill here on the show. A final take for the week before we head into week 17 of the NFL season. I'm Craig Mish. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. Don't go away. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia. 
Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish back with you as we end the show and we end the week and almost end the year. It is time for the two-minute drill. The two-minute warning. Two minutes, get your sh- together. Is that going to be enough time? I've lived in South Florida for almost 40 years. And I got to tell you, there have been... Uh, and now, now, full transparency here, I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville, which is almost like a world away. But there have certainly been some unbelievable moments, and I've covered them in the media at the University of Miami. I have been to Miami's uh, back-to-back championship runs. I went to the Rose Bowl when they beat Nebraska, covered that game for Fox Sports Florida. I covered uh, Miami's game against Ohio State when they lost in overtime in that game as well. So I've I've seen the greatness from the University of Miami. But my gosh, what I saw yesterday on television was one of the most pathetic performances I've ever seen in any football game, college or pro. I don't know what they do. I don't know how they pick it up. And I know that their athletic director said that their head coach will be back in Manny Diaz. But my gosh, why in the world did they accept a bid to that game if that was going to be their attempt to win a game? It was sad. It was pathetic. And hopefully for fans of the University of Miami, that is the lowest point in the last 30 years of Hurricanes football. All right, that'll do it for the show. Thanks again to John Lobb for coming on. Coming up next, it's time for a little full-time fantasy. Dr. Roto getting you ready for Week 17 of the NFL. I'm Craig Mish. Back on Monday as we close out the year in fantasy sports. Have a great weekend, everybody. See ya.